and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists of the regenerative movement, people with a planetary purpose. My name is Julian Guderlei, and in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with Scott Schwenk. Scott is a leader whisperer, master coach, and meditation teacher, a hybrid of laser-like practicality and cutting-edge visionary insight. Scott has been catalyzing the inner evolution and leadership development of individuals, relationships, and larger groups, as well as organizations for over 25 years. His work and teaching is a blend of stillness, unexpected expansion, laughter, discovery, and potent actionable insights, revealing dynamic inner freedom and a thriving outer life. Part of his process is the succession of waking up growing up, cleaning up, and showing up. And so I'm excited with these words to welcome you to the show, Scott. Welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet. Thank you for having me, Julian. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll get to talk a little bit about this process that I just um, teased, but let, let's, start, let's start somewhere at the beginning-ish. You know, I got to meet you just recently through Breathwork, and Breathwork is, in that sense, a shared passion and also path. It's, it's entered my life, I don't know, almost a decade ago now. And it, I, at this point, I can't really live without it. But I want to mention this as we're starting this episode. You did something really curious. You invited me to take more of your breath work before we actually end up on this recording. And first of all, of course, I want to express my gratitude because it was profound. But then in your own words, just for people to kind of arrive in this conversation, how, how is breath work, you know, how is breath work such a profound modality, such a profound teaching that can change anyone's life? I think the easiest entryway into that conversation is to be simple about stop breathing and see how long the body remains alive. <laughs> yeah. There's a great short story about um, a Zen master and his student who are out in a small boat and the student is kind of in a mood and looks at the teacher and says, I'm so bored with the breath. Isn't there something else that's more interesting and, and a deeper, more advanced teaching for me? And the master says, hmm. And he quickly picks him up by the scruff, puts him under the boat underwater and holds him under. And long enough until he starts to kick. <laughs> and kick wildly and then he pulls him back and he puts him in the boat and he looks at him and he says how boring is your breath now hmm. there is a subtle and not so subtle energy many energies that move on the breath you can call it prana you could call it a number of different things kun if you're in the african bush ruach hebrew um, you know, we have phrases like inspire that dualistically means to inhale as well as to be connected to a wider awareness of the subtle forces that give rise to all of existence. So we're talking about this interface and in my own direct experience and in so much clinical research that's been done, the breath affects the mood mm -hmm. 
you know, I've noticed for myself, if I don't like how I'm feeling, if I change the rhythm of my breathing or the depth of my breathing or both, my state changes. And then it's about the will to do so and not get caught in a, in a loop. Every, every state of consciousness can be autopoetic, self-reinforcing. Mm-hmm. Every stage of development can be autopoetic. It can get reified easily. You know, you buy a red car, you suddenly see red cars everywhere. There are lots of other colored cars out there. Why are you only noticing the red cars? So there's a, a direct interface with the conditioning held in the, specifically in the nervous system, the physical and subtle nervous system that we see gets affected through changing the rhythm of breathing. And there are so many different types of breath. If you check out, for example, um, BKS Iyengar's Light on Pranayama. Pranayama, also by the way, is worth saying, Pranayama is misunderstood in the West as, as uh, about breath, but it's actually not about breath. It's about using breath to organize, balance, control, regulate mm. life force. You had mentioned before we began the recording that this phenomenon of feeling tingling and vibrating in the body connected to the breath work, you've noticed that you feel it not so much during the active part of the rhythmic breathing process, but when you shift to a resting breath. Yeah. And there's something to that. There's something to that. In the moment you shift, I shift to the resting breath, there is a letting go of control. You could call that relaxation, a deeper relaxation of sorts. What else can we recognize that's already all around us through a deeper relaxation while remaining conscious? So breath is a way to directly work with energy and everything is energy, particle physics 101 or field theory. Everything is energy to directly work with energy instead of requiring going through words about the energy, mm-hmm. you know, going past the middleman at times story is useful, but each of us from my observation and my experience comes into this life with a certain amount of conditioning, anger, fear, sadness that look for stories to attach themselves to. And I've definitely chased stories to try and figure out how to get more freedom, how to make more money, how to be healthier, to figure it out in thought forms. And it just doesn't really get very far. It's, it's a bit like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Mm-hmm. There's a hole in the boat, it's going down, and we're trying to make it look pretty. So breath is a way to go transmental beyond the ordinary mind into a more direct place where the energy actually is. When the energy changes, the thought forms will follow. 
if there's a fundamental enough change at the level of energy or source of the thought forms, then the thought forms are naturally going to be different. If the source of a river is polluted, the water downstream is going to be polluted. If the source is clear, then the water's going to be clear. I love your metaphor, Scott. This is very powerful, very, you know, um, laser-like and, and cutting edge in that sense, you know? So I, I want to, I want to backtrack a little bit in your journey and understand, um, when you were in your twenties, you spent several years living and studying in a Hindu tantric monastery. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you describe that experience as we're, you know, we, we went deep into the breath and into the subtle energy body already, but let's maybe go a little bit. Sure. Sorry. So the first year of that, I was living in Manhattan and I was living in the, a brownstone on the Upper West Side. So it was the Manhattan ashram for, for this meditation lineage, Siddha Yoga. And so at night, I would go back there and do my my seva, my, my practice, you know, clean the floors and do some practices, meditation, chanting, um, contemplation. But by day, I'd throw my suit on and go downtown to Midtown and work for Chase as a personal banker. <laughs> oh, wow. And I was under contract for at least a year. And when that contract ended, I moved upstate to the Catskill Mountains to the main seat in the West for Siddha Yoga as a full-time staff member. And I was there for two years, training extensively, practicing extensively uh, in Vedic ritual, in mantra, in meditation, in um, philosophy, particularly Kashmir Shaivism and Vedanta. Kashmir Shaivism is the, the line of Tantra that I'm trained in and share. So living there, how was it? What was it like? Man, there were many days when it was really, really almost painful. Mm. But, but not problematic pain. Pain with being confronted with my own stuff. And everybody went through this. The energy is so heightened all the time from years and years and years and years of thousands of people practicing on this property that there's a magnification, much like a full moon but by greater magnitude all day, every day. So the very same energy can magnify your, your happiness and your blissfulness. But if I'm in a, in a, in a caught in a negative thought form or a negative spiral, it's going to magnify that. And it's just right in front of your face all day. There's no avoiding it, no avoiding it. So at times it was like the most exalted experience you could imagine. Like, wow this type of blissfulness is real and I didn't take a drug. I mean, I will promise you as somebody who has played around with, you know, <laughs> MDMA and different things back in the day. Yeah. I've had experiences that profoundly blow that out of the water. And then the greatest experience, which is to just rest in a simple form of contentment, independent of circumstances to me now feels even more prize worthy than these kind of intense peak states that come and go. I love that you're saying this. I feel like this is one of the symptoms of our society at this point, not to derail from the story about your time in the monastery, but you know, this, this, this chase of the peak state, which inevitably 
means there's a bottom state as well. And we're not trying to at all be present to that. At one end of the spectrum, you've got euphoria. Then at the other end is dysphoria. Mm -hmm. And skillful traditional alchemy teachers often teach using the um, an analogy with a pendulum, showing a, a physical pendulum swinging. And the laws of alchemy say for every swing to the right of the pendulum, there is an equal and opposite swing to the left. And part of the learning of alchemy is not about turning an object called base metal like lead into an object called gold. That's metaphor for the inner alchemy of shifting from the leaden ego to the golden awareness of the all. Mm. So the alchemist is training to raise the fulcrum of one's attention higher up. The pendulum is still swinging, but you're not affected. All those opportunities of choice to be reactive or non-reactive are still there. They don't go away. But one, one is not caught in them. Perspective has expanded beyond that and yet includes it. Reminds me of the teachings of the the Kivalian. This is exactly it. Yeah, these are those are the traditional, you know, the law of rhythm, the law of vibration, the law of pulsation. Um, you know, where where we we've heard about the law of attraction, but people haven't really boiled it down through enough self study to see what that is. Like, oh, if I just think this thought form over and over again, I will have, you know, a new five series BMW in my driveway next week without realizing they're mostly active we've, we've mostly been activating the law of repulsion because uh -huh. the predominant inner feeling and thinking is what's being attracted more of so i could be thinking about attracting you know the partner of my dreams but if my inner feeling is i'm not enough what I'm going to manifest is evidence that I'm not enough. So to study these teachings long enough to recognize how ego has been continually reifying a false sense of self and the ways it does it, and then to use breath and shifts of attention, shifts of perspective, consistently enough over time to expand into wider and wider perspectives where freedom naturally abides. And where the so-called supernatural abilities are just natural byproducts, not of oneself, but of that strata of energy and awareness. Nobody owns any of it. Mm. Yeah, you can own the miracle. The miracle is at some level like a normality that you kind of like attune to, right? Yeah, I mean, miracle is a construct that comes from people who don't experience more flow. Oh, it's a miracle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but when you know it's not a miracle, it's just ordinary. Right. When you don't know, it's a miracle. I don't believe in miracles. I, I rely on them, right? <laughs> yeah, amen. We don't start wars over what we know. We start wars over beliefs. Mm. You imagine Julie and I go, hey, man, I really have a right foot. You better believe me that I have a right foot. 
And you're like, what are you talking about, man? Of course you're a right foot. <laughs> Interesting. But if suddenly if I say, well, the divine is only this form, shape, and name, and color, I believe that, then we start fighting about your belief and my belief. But as you've encountered perhaps people who deeply are living their knowing, it doesn't need to be shouted from the rooftops. It's shared with those who are available and ready. Otherwise, keep silent. Yeah, that's a, that's a very wise notion. I feel like this is um, one of the places that personally I've experienced frustration with until I, I learned deeper states of it is that when someone is not ready to listen, it's, it's simply okay because they might not be able to receive you in, in what you're saying, right? Yeah, but compassion usually can touch people. They may not recognize it in the moment, but I was thinking about this last night at the gym. Um, fields, of, fields of ease or fields of resistance. You know, if I walk past you at the gym, if I'm paying attention, there's a, the energy is conditioned around you in a certain way, and it either feels discordant or fluid or somewhere in between. And I, you know, in my earlier life, I was not responsible for what I was putting out. I was just a victim of it and upset about the way people would respond to it without recognizing they were responding to my field. <laughs> and that I absolutely have a choice with practice to be non-judgmental, to be non-reactive, to be non-codependent. And then people feel that, get curious, and lean in. It's like we really don't even need to be doing social media in the wellness world necessarily to have work. I mean, I've got a, a friend who has no social media, no website, no business card. She works as a, she calls herself a shaman, probably one of the most psychic people I've ever met. Looked solid from the day she started years ago. And not at a cheap price either. No advertising. I had a teacher once say, does the diamond need to proclaim its own value or is it self-evident? Let's talk a little bit more about this. I feel like we're still on the trajectory of learning more about your time in the monastery, but we can sure a little bit. I feel like this, this, this society where we're living in on a global scale, right? Where it seems like many, many people are, you know, waking up, growing up, cleaning up, showing up step by step a little more. But yet we're still also playing out this game of personality, individual. And there, in my words, there must be a reason why we're interested in both in this, or there must be a, a reason why this is part of how we express. And I'm just curious on your take on that because you're, you know, you just said you were in the gym yesterday. So maybe the picture some people have of, of someone who practices Hindu tantric, uh, uh, you know, um, sadhana, daily practice, they don't even go to the gym or they don't need to go to the gym or they don't work with people who are anchored in the business world. And yet, yeah, and they also are supposed to be vegan. Um, wait, you know, you're not vegan? always. 
No. <laughs> I try not to talk about my diet unless it's a show about diet because it's so polarizing, but people have all these projections or that, you know, we don't need to talk. Somebody about should be able to step on my foot and I won't have a, have yeah. something to say about it. Yeah. It's, it's a very fascinating thing. It's like, it's, it's understandable. And I had those thoughts myself, like, there's that saying attributed to Jesus in the new Testament by their fruits, you will know them by their fruits. You shall know them as like, I don't have to, I don't have to wonder. I can notice if I pay attention to you, Julian, what you're embodying by, by what shows up around you. Mm -hmm. Um, that saying in Spanish, tell me who is around you and I'll tell you who you are. By their fruits, you will know them. We have, I have had all these assumptions about what a spiritual person looks like or what a teacher looks like. And some of the great scriptures have written some really helpful things about how to look for a teacher. What we don't recognize on the whole consistently enough is that these different teachings are written from and for different embodied stages of development. It's not one size fits all. Mm -hmm. But thinking mind, to ordinary toolbox mind, which is rooted and mired in language, the power of letters and words, which in my tradition we call matrika shakti, which means little mothers. These letters and sounds form words. These words become beliefs. They shape and direct how energy moves through the nervous system and what we attract. And we don't even realize we're caught in this net of words. Somebody you really love says, you're a horrible motherfucking asshole. Excuse my French. Mm-hmm. And based on your investment in that person and what they, in your relationship with them, yeah. your vagal tone, your vagus nerve drops, your stomach grabs, the adrenaline starts to flow and you start feeling terrible. Same person says, you've saved my life. Those words you shared with me opened my heart. I have not gone backwards. You've made such a difference in my world. You're floating on the air. So part one, this gives actually a pointer at why mantra, when it's actually true, the power of mantra, why it has power. Words carry energy. So these words, these teachings, or these ideas about what a teacher is and what a student is and what's appropriate are written for particular stages of embodied development. And discernment, viveka in Sanskrit, discernment, discrimination, the ability to finally see the difference between one thing and another, might have somebody do something that seems uh, taboo to the tradition that they've grown up in, but it's actually perfectly appropriate for their next stage of their development. Mm-hmm. Where somebody else might try and do something taboo, but they're grasping from the ego for a peak state. So to have the discernment. Because all these paths are constructed. They're made up. There was a time before they existed. 
And yet the truth is eternally true. And the truth is not words. The truth is the ultimate presence of reality itself as a force, as an energy, vibrating through all existence, all objects and all formlessness, manifest and unmanifest. And ideally any true teachings lead us into deeper recognition of this force and skillfully participating with it rather than trying to become a separate agent using it to get what I think is missing from my life, which is complete illusion and going to lead to more suffering and grasping that leads to more suffering. So bringing that back to this kind of, I don't want to call it duality, but this um, simultaneous parallel existence of the self in society, the self of how it is seen through the lens of, let's say, the cell phone, the camera, but then also the self that is actually truly tuning to um, the teachings, the daily practice. The way I'm understanding you is when, you, when we're grasping, we're clearly off, right? Because grasping is a, a try to reach for something that is an illusion in the sense of it is um, where we're actually in true reality, everything is already fully, wholly complete in that sense. And when I know that, I relax enough that what is for me comes to me. And then what is grasping? Grasping arises from insecurity. Yeah. And insecurity, as long as it's maintained, will continue to attract evidence that supports the insecurity. Mm -hmm. So grasping will lead to more grasping. And only always until the cycle is broken. And most of us don't break those intense loops except on the heels of some, some intense circumstance, some deep form of suffering that arises to the degree to which something opens inside and goes, I'm not willing to live like this anymore. I don't know what it's going to take, but something's got to be different. And in some sort of way, metaphorical or actual, my head goes on the floor in humility to open to some wider perspective, whether that's with the help of a, a human or through the help of a human or through a flash and shift of perspective, breath work to keep bringing that back in is a powerful way to do that. So many people have written in from that course from all over the world. I haven't cried in years. I did the breath and in session one, I was able to release all these beautiful tears. I feel so much lighter and I'm not physically in the room with them. It's not about me. Mm -hmm. It's about a shift and a letting go and, and, a, and an opening to a more coherent flow of resources. And that more coherent flow of resources always is at the center of every particle throughout the entire cosmos every particle contains the possibility of every other particle. So as you mentioned, the Kabbalion, you know, one of the main teachings of alchemy as above, so below. Mm -hmm. Do we really contemplate this as within, so without, uh, in the, the Vishvasara Tantra, it's said like this, what is here is there. What is not here is nowhere. So anything I could possibly truly desire that really has existence to it 
is right here where I am now accessible with the right attunement or doesn't exist. I don't have to go to Tibet <laughs> physically. Yeah. I could be in Tibet and my mind could be in downtown Los Angeles thinking about burgers mm -hmm. while sitting in the lion's nest, Padmasambhava's monastery, you know, crack, you know, at the edge of the cliff, most beautiful place, empowered place. And my mind might be thinking about Belcampo Burger at Grand Central, downtown LA. <laughs> oh, it's grass fed and oh yeah, the bread is so good. Forget where I am. Mm -hmm. which opens up a whole other possible topic at some point which is called mind training preliminary practice and how few people have been turned on to that in the west and the importance of mind training if it's true that what is here is there and what is not here is nowhere so if fully awakened awareness is right here all the ways as is supreme love What's keeping me from it is my own awareness and attention. Not reality itself. Nobody's keeping any of it from me. So if I haven't trained my mind to, to focus in a non-grasping way, what will I attain? So back to the question we, I think we touched on in the beginning about people seeking the feel-good factor. Mm -hmm. You know, looking around for the next hit of energy the next hit of excitement, the next hit of joy, the next hit of titillation, going from book to book to CD to CD to workshop to workshop, but never develop any discipline or one-pointed attention through mind training. So one never trusts oneself to, to look inward and see that all true power really actually is within. And this affects everything. This affects my relationship with you. How can I actually have a fluid relationship with you on any level if I am so rooted in this made up sense of self and trying to protect it at any cost? And also it has things it doesn't have that I'm trying to get from the outside. So my relationship with you isn't true until I provisionally know myself because I'm just be knowingly or unknowingly using you to get a feeling or to avoid a feeling. And on some level, if you're even remotely sensitive, you'll feel that and be repulsed. All these teachings, back to the, your question about the monastery, were offered to me in those times. It's just taken years of sadhana and practice and meditation and in, and finding the still points between the thoughts for the teachings to actually be, go from powerful information to progressively more lived reality. And so this is, this is the really interesting piece. I feel like the lived reality is where, as you said, it's, it's either already here or it's, it's not here at all. Yeah. I'd love to talk more about this discipline, sadhana, daily practice, mantra, and all these things. I, I'd, I'd love to, simply for the cohesion of our conversation, also kind of come back to this, this notion of like the parallel of this world, because we, we're not, 
meditating monks on the cliffs of Tibet or Nepal for most of our life, or maybe some of us are, but maybe also only for parts of our life. In your case, you live in, in, in Los Angeles, which is one of the, the world's probably busiest cities, you know? And where um, people get paid money mm -hmm. to make illusion. Very much so. And also where teachings that are accessible through simply paying true attention to your reality and your inside state that are available for free. I mean, breath is the best example. It's available for free. Yet both you and, and also me are getting paid to help people breathe. Mm. Because people don't have either the discipline or the consistency or even the access to it, even though it is theoretically a free tool. And so or yeah just another or they don't yet have they haven't yet had the feeling of safety to explore a feeling that's unfamiliar so there's that's really important too because so mm. many people are wandering around this planet in what we could call a trauma response in varying degrees of fight or flight the amygdala back of the brain is just overfiring the cortisol and the effect on the nervous system, the effect on the vagus nerve, which determines a lot about our inner state in the given moment. And the testosterone, just in men alone, I'm meeting so many men who are in their 20s who've got a testosterone score in the 200s, which is dangerous. Why? So we meet these people who've had Maybe outwardly, you know, they're, they're physically attractive and they went to, you know, an Ivy League school or Oxford or Cambridge or Eton or wherever they went. And they've got all these, you know, wonderful, but they're terrified. Mm. So what we create is a, is a condition for it to feel safe enough to explore. People are terrified of something getting worse in their lives and don't talk about it. People are terrified of looking inward for fear that they will find, we will find something so overwhelming that will consume us and it will take over everything. You see, I, I would add to that, that people are sometimes looking inward in order to then achieve something outward so that trend towards looking inward, which is definitely like the real practice, has become a trend of stretching, doing the thing that then leads people to be like, oh, if now I'm doing this, it's gonna help me achieve the goals I need to achieve in my life. So let's come back to stages of development. Yeah. So one can have remarkably advanced peak experiences, visions, uh, awarenesses of ultimate reality but it will be interpreted through the growing up stage of development that one is currently anchored in. And you can't skip stages. They're correlate to development in the brain and nervous system as well. Right. So it has to be gone in order. So a fundamentalist, for example, you can be a fundamentalist vegan, you can be a fundamentalist Christian, fundamentalist bricklayer. And so in a fundamentalist altitude, of development, of growing up. There's an us and there's a them. Mm -hmm. And if you're not one of us, you're one of them. And aggression is considered totally okay if you're one of them. 
The fundamentalist can't even see very far into the future, the effects of an action right now. You jump up a couple of stages to pluralism. Pluralism is, is, is the beginning of something useful and interesting, at least around me, where somebody can actually perceive multiple pers perspectives about one situation. That's interesting. To actually, well, it could be this, and here's another pers possible perspective and another possible perspective. There's not, there's one perspective, and if you don't agree, we're going to shoot you. <laughs> Both of these ways of experiencing life and seeing the world, fundamentalism and pluralism, are still caught inside the net of words, symbols, naming things, describing things, believing in the descriptions, believing in the words. There's a later stage that can happen. It's emerging a bit more. We're seeing more and more of it where one actually in an embodied way recognizes that everything we associate meaning with is completely constructed, fabricated mm -hmm. in words. When that begins to dawn, a new form of freedom actually starts to unfold within the whole system of a person. The things that one was formerly vehemently reactive about, one progressively as one matures in becoming construct aware, is no longer reactive and goes, oh, I would only be reacting to a construct and that construct is made up. I don't need to be reactive. As that deepens this, this awareness of constructs and the vast meaninglessness of all of existence, not valuelessness, meaninglessness. Nothing means anything except the meaning we attribute to it, mm -hmm. that we agree on. Things just are as they are. So as this deepens sufficiently, and this is a really late stage of development, but it is emergent. There's probably at least a million people on the planet embodying it. One starts to see the fabrication of what we called I. My I, my me. My me. Mm -hmm. and, it, it, and it's not a concept. It's not an idea. We don't have to think about it. It's a direct recognition that there is an unbroken, completely intelligent force moving through and manifesting as all forms and formlessness. And this is directly experienced minimally in the beginning. And then as it matures, it deepens. So from this place of recognizing Julian, that there's this unbroken force of wholeness moving through all forms and formlessness, no matter how they appear. My concern stops being for my so-called me solely and defending and protecting in my me and grasping to support my me to authentically being interested in what's best for the whole. Mm 
You know what comes to mind at this point is Buckminster Fuller's definition of the word I. I don't know if you're familiar with Buckminster Fuller's work, but he, he referred to the word I as a verb. Huh. Say a little more. Well, in other words, he recognized from this place that you just kind of guided us to, I would, I would assume it's a similar place, that the I is an, an existence but it's not the actual identity, but this existence is inevitably there and true. And so the I is what I perceive I, Julian, me, Julian doing in this world. And so when we identify with it, our doing turns into the focus point of what we're creating. It turns into the focus point of our worldview almost. But really we're the infinite truth of love embodied and individualized or the infinite truth of abundance embodied and individualized. And so as that individualized version, I'm still walking around doing things today. I opened my laptop and called you and then hit record. Yeah. But how, how I experience those moments of laptop, podcast, interview, sun coming in the window, how I make meaning of those moments is based on my stage, my growing up stage of development. And that can't be faked. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be faked for people at previous stages of development, mm-hmm. but inwardly, I can't fake it for myself. So let me make a real life example at this point. Yeah, just to get be helpful. Really, really like grounded for everyone listening who is, you know, is like, make this more real, guys. Something I've struggled with over the last decade, I would say is about a decade ago, it was inevitably clear to me that what really matters is committing to my practice and my own development and becoming in, in that sense. Before there was spirit pulling me around the world, making sure I'd get my dosage of initiation. But, but then I recognized and I committed to it. And the commitment I would say is getting incrementally more every couple of weeks, days, months, years. In the beginning stages though, much more than now, that I was experiencing a duality between this, ah, I, but this other world that everyone else is hanging out in, I want to make sure that I'm not losing my way of connecting to it, my way of being of service to it. At this point now, I know simply by being and following my daily practice, I will be of service and I, I will be of service more and more and more if I listen, if I tune, if I show up. And in this process, what I realized, I have started really contemplating whether the the i the ego the the persona the shell you know if i am allowed to use it in those words you know in the sense of you know right now i'm, I'm hosting a podcast interview that's also a video uh recording that people will see and so in some way shape or form i'm making myself look good and so for a while i was quite lost with this world as you said in los angeles people are getting paid to create an illusion and so I didn't want to contribute to an illusion, but then also, depending on my stage of de- development, possibly I, I still just simply am, you know? And so this back and forth was, was almost painful for me for a while because it actually, and this is, this is not necessarily true anymore now, but I, I, I'm glad I'm sharing this like, this like deeply personal, re- relatable piece to it because it actually paralyzed me to step into full action and to own up. <sighs> 
and show up all the way to the plate and say, you know what, um, then I'll be visible and will be seen for that, but so be it because this is what's coming through me. Because I was actually afraid that it's the ego or the identity taking over. Rather all than different layers of self-absorption with mm -hmm. a false sense of self that needs some sort of protection or needs something it doesn't already seem to have. And we have a planet full of that. Not good or bad, it's just what is. Uh, and yet, it's not a mystery that culture is the way that it is right now. Mm -hmm. We look through that lens. If we have a world of beings, 80% of which recognize this reality, not just conceptually, but actually feel, recognize, are moved by, lived by, this unbroken wholeness that moves through all of creation. The sharing of resources skillfully, the stewarding of resources skillfully, is a natural expression. Just natural. It's possible to live intuitively, naturally, without having to pre-think without losing intelligence, without losing the ability to enjoy enjoyable things. You know, people, I had this notion that like the deeper wakefulness goes that somehow I, I get obliterated or enjoyment will get obliterated. Just kind of like sit in a chair and drool all day. Yeah, yeah. it's quite the no. opposite, right? It's it quite the opposite, it's very <laughs> dynamic. Yeah. Um, what seems to be more and more the case is there's not some individual claiming the enjoyment. Enjoyment is loud. It's just it's flowing while it's here, and then whatever flavor is next is flowing while it's here. Don't grasp, and don't push away. You know, let let come what comes. Let go what goes. I can only do that when I actually am rooted in a, in a deeper sense that it is an abundant universe, really and actually, not just as a thought. And then there's this trust. And this trust organizes my breath in a certain way through my body to be full and easeful. It organizes the muscles and tendons of my body to be soft, except when needed. And then that attracts what is similar. We talk about karma. Karma simply causes and conditions. Mm -hmm. That you know, it's 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 energy in motion that needs to finish its motion. So by yeah. changing my breath, I'm changing my karma. This is why it causes these profound emotional and physical reactions in some people, right? This yeah, and some people will do it one time, have a really big experience and tell people about it for years on end on coffee and never do it again. And some people will do it and go, wow, there's something here. And whatever this something is, it feels important to get to know it. 
and I want to get to know it in all the ways it can show up. It's not only available in breath work. That's just a very potent, obvious way to bring people face to face it's a with. Obvious way, and if you yeah. if you do it for less than twenty minutes, you'll have a massive effect, right? Yeah, if you're willing to do it, and you know, now some, there might be the rare person who's got so much held tension patterns that it may take a few sessions for them to have that experience to let go of enough fear and relax just enough to have an experience. So that can happen too. But many people, if they just do the breath for 15, 20 minutes and soften tension as much as possible while doing it, when they shift, when we shift over to the resting breath, the brain and nervous system naturally drop in pretty close to a delta state or deeper, a state of deep meditation naturally. So it's also a great accelerator for people who want to develop a meditation practice, a sitting meditation practice, to know what we're looking for when we close our eyes and be more efficient about the process. There is no success in yoga without learning meditation. And by yoga, I don't mean poses. I was just about to say, when I think of yoga, what I think of is meditation. That's what most people think of. Yoga is a complete system for wholeness, balance, and flow. Absolutely. But the first thing that enters my mind is this go beyond the poses and go into the, the stillness in which you can even perceive the system. Right? Breath work is a form of yoga. Mantra work is a form of yoga. Uh, chanting is a form of yoga. Sound is a form of yoga. Anything is yoga. Yoga is union. Mm-hmm. Yuj, it's from the root yuj, which means to be yoked to. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm yoked to something by giving it my attention. So really, we're talking about the art of attention when we're talking about yoga. Whatever you give it, I give attention to is what's foregrounded. Wherever I direct attention, energy will build there, for better or worse. Scott, this was already such a profound conversation, and I feel like there are there are more of these conversations to follow. Just out of timing for this episode and, and, and the next things that are happening both in your day and in my day, I have a, a, like a last question for today. And that's just a very practical question. So you just said yoga is where we direct our attention to in its essence. So if you were to give the, the people listening of course, depending on the stage of where they're listening from. But if you were to give a hint or like a hint or a pointer, a hinter, that's very German of mine, a hint or a pointer to where to direct attention, something that is applicable no matter where you are in your life, no matter what is going on right now, what could that be? What is a simple attention? Two things at the same time. One, begin to radically soften the soles of the feet and the palms of the hands like you're opening fists with your imagination, not requiring any muscular control, radically softening the soles and palms, skin, tendons, and connective tissue in the muscles all the way to the bone. Keep radically softening them and let the breath come in deep, as deep as possible, and let it go out as long as possible without any strain. And combine those two things and get practiced at that no matter what the activity is. Then intuition is natural. 
it's going to keep growing. Letting go of flotsam and jetsam and noise in the mind or seeming offenses or whatever is much easier. And listening for what's truly possible beyond what we've already experienced is also more natural. I love that listening to what's truly possible becomes easier and more available. Let's, let's pick up on that notion another time because I feel like both purpose, which for me is a, a notion that comes after healing and intuition. Once the healing and the intuition has been done for a while, the, the, the true purpose is something that continues to show up more and more and more. And purpose, just to touch briefly, yeah. just briefly, mm -hmm. we have a very false set of concepts about purpose. I agree. And we assess, we, oh, my purpose. There is no my purpose. There's energy moving. What energy are, is one aligning with? Does that feel like most coherent flow forward? That's enough. That energy will finish its motion. That's a cleaner look at purpose. Energy finishing its motion, cleanly delivered, it, it's got a purpose. You know, the Ganga River, the Ganges, has a purpose. Mm. But it's not like, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, it's not like a holy purpose. It's just the river is designed to flow in a direction. So it's fulfilling its natural purpose. Natural purpose can arise when we get out of the way, come into harmony with what is, breath and softening, deeply listening for flow and what's possible and then it's intuitively obvious or entirely not worth thinking about once i'll give the last tip once the mind feels and body feels sufficiently soft from you practicing softening hands and palms and letting the breath come in deep and go out long begin to look for the delicate pause between any two thoughts there's a pause, otherwise it would be sound of unbroken noise in the mind. There's a pause between any two thoughts, ongoingly. Look for this delicate pause and relax into it, like relaxing into a welcoming hot bath after a hard day's work well done. This is open-eyed meditation. You could do it closed-eyed or open-eyed. This will naturally lead to meditation. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Scott, for so much insight, so many different tips and angles of looking at life, but where our attention goes, a breath, and um, to be continued. Fantastic. Thanks for, for this conversation. It's delightful, really. Thank you. that's that another episode of green planet blue planet podcast i hope you truly enjoyed this one and received some insights knowledge and a form of learning that you can directly apply to your life into your relationships or maybe even into your business and the way you show up for the world because this is a movement and we're all part of it very much so and we're in this together we're here to create a world of a triple bottom line where you win i win and the entire planet wins we're raising consciousness together and you know that. That's why you're listening. That's why I love you. So make sure to share the love. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Invite a friend to listen to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And if you have an idea who else you'd like me to interview, make sure you reach out and send me a suggestion.
definitely check out greenplanet-blueplanet.com, the website to the podcast. I've created a lot of different offers for you, free content, free meditations for you to amplify your connection to self, the state of social impact in the world, and for you to connect and listen to who you could support of the people that I actually interview because their missions are ongoing and a lot of them need more collaboration. And after more than 100 episodes now, with some of the world's leading social impact experts, I have synthesized my most inspired learnings and takeaways to create coaching and mentorship programs for you and the people around you. Let me share with you about planetary purpose coaching and mentorship experiences. If you're in a space in your life where you're ready to level up to amplify who you are, what's coming through you and what you're doing to give your gift to the world, then I would love to hear from you and I'd love for you to apply to one of my private mentorships or group mentorships because getting all of the juice, all of that life force that's in you out into the world is something you deserve and the entire world around us deserves. Also, I work with people who are entirely new to this, to the topic of planetary purpose or the topic of meditation, the topic of inside evolution and revolution. And if that's you and you're ready to step out of the ordinary and into creation, or if you know someone who is totally ready for that, make sure to check out the website or share the website. And you can also always shoot me a message on Instagram. I'll definitely read it and get back to you. Because, like, guys, this is real life. Let's be in touch and let's create this together. Last but not least, there's a few different group experiences I host, both in person and online. All of them are quantum learning environments, and I'm happy to tell you more. So simply inform yourself and stay connected, because whatever resonates with you, I'm here to support you and bring out more purpose into the world. And with that being said, wherever you are in the world, make sure to be you, show up all the way, be all in. Connect with someone today, make them smile, have yourself a stellar day. Lots of love to you, and until soon. 